0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Monday, May 1st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. As South Korea's president wraps up a visit to the White House, where does that diplomatic relationship stand? What promises were made with respect to weaponry and the challenges the ROK faces from North Korea and China? Cater's Doug Bandow and Eric Gomez comment.
1: I I think in the context of, of this, you know, this visit, right, and where things are in the relationship the south korean's want to have confidence in in like this us extended deterrent commitment right the idea that we will use our nukes to protect someone who isn't ourselves and the problem with that is well the north korean's have been very busy they've been fielding a lot more nuclear weapons nuclear capable systems and so there's this. There's been this push in South Korea in the last few months before this state visit that Yoon did to say, well, you know, maybe it's time for South Korea to consider our own nukes. Um, and, and so I think going into this meeting, Washington was like, how do we tamp that down at the lowest possible cost to ourselves?
2: Yeah, the South Koreans want to be protected. It's been 70 years since the end of the Korean War they much prefer to have a superpower on their side, and they want to keep that. And they've gotten nervous about that, number one, as Eric indicated, because of the North Korean progress on not only nukes, but intercontinental missiles, because the moment that they have an ICBM that can hit, they can actually target American cities, it puts the U.S. at much greater risk, and they worry the U.S. might decide defending them isn't such a good deal. And the second issue, which gets mentioned, though it's not uppermost at the moment, is what if, God help us, Donald Trump wins in 2024, or someone like him, where they suddenly realize there's no longer necessarily a bipartisan consensus for maintaining the alliance, American troops on the peninsula, and extended deterrence. So they've grown a bit nervous, which has caused this discussion in Korea, which has gotten rather serious. I mean, the public long has kind of said, a large majority said, we'd like nukes. You know, among the elite, it's never been terribly great. But there is that growing sense where even the president mentions it. It shows their their concern. On the U.S. side, Biden administration is fully committed to the alliance. This is a president who can't imagine not defending an ally, in contrast to Trump. But their notion is there's nothing more horrific than to have allies going off on their own, doing things like building nukes. So this summit was really focused on how do we satisfy both sides and convince the South Koreans to stop talking about that uh, and believing in extended deterrence. You know, what does that take that will satisfy both sides? And that's what they theoretically have come up with, though it's not clear there's an awful lot of substance
0: there. Uh, the proximity of Seoul to North Korea is always a uh, a big deal, and and the United States wants to uh, make South Korea feel more prepared for what may come. What are, what are the specific steps that the Biden administration is taking, and where have they stopped short of what South Korea would prefer?
1: So this is where I think the the agreement. It's not a nothing burger, but it's not much better. Um, So before this agreement comes in, right, Biden comes into office, Yoon Suk-yeol is is inaugurated in May of 2022. Right away, both sides take some steps. Like Biden says, okay, we're going to have uh, deployments of what the US calls strategic assets uh, to the vicinity of the peninsula. So this isn't like putting bombers on the peninsula, but it's saying like, Flying them around it, uh, you know, putting the sort of big high profile things that say, we are here for you. We are working together. Um, So that's mentioned in the declaration that we're going to be doing some more of that. We were already doing some more of that. Um, The big thing from the declaration on sort of consultation is this nuclear consultative um, group. Which is a high level sort of you know u s and South Korean officials meeting regularly to talk about nuclear operations. Um, but we already had an extended deterrence consultative group uh, that was functioning before this, where I presume many of the same discussions were happening. um so a lot of this sort of top line stuff in the agreement is... Marginal improvements on things that the Biden administration was already doing. And I, but I think with the idea of, well, we'll make it big, we'll make it very pomp and circumstance surrounding it, and that will kind of mollify the concerns. And I'm sure that, you know, this new consultative group is going to be different than what existed before, but most of those differences are going to be felt by the people, like the bureaucrats involved in the process. For non-nuclear wonks like me, most of the difference is superficial, um, and so I, I, you know, which you could say like, all right, the existence of our deterrent is actually pretty good, right? And then and, and maybe not much needed to change, but I was really expecting something more. I, 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 you know, Doug mentioned there's this concern in South Korea of, what if Trump gets reelected, right? And could someone reverse this? All this stuff is incredibly easy for any president to reverse. Uh, you know, if Trump was elected, the first thing he could do is say, all right, we're pulling out of all these commit, all of these like consultative things. I thought the South Koreans were going to push much harder for something that would be more difficult to reverse, namely like reintroducing us nukes to the peninsula that would require the building of like new infrastructure to host them. Um, and the process of like extricating that would be very difficult and time consuming, but this is just, you know, yeah, a new president could just snap his or her fingers and change all of this in a moment's notice. Uh, so I don't know if it kicks the can down the road that far.
2: I look at this as primarily theater. That is, as an attempt to publicly pacify rising concerns in the ROK and the administration has made very clear that only the us will make decisions on the use of nukes uh they've reiterated that that, that is ultimately an american decision so they're, t- they're basically promising to consult with the south koreans and i would hope that we would consult with the south koreans before using nukes on the korean peninsula anyway that uh, it looks to me like it's creating more formalities and titles and or you kind of you know groups you know, to suggest we really, really, really mean it that we're consulting. It doesn't get to the essential problem, which strikes me as a North Korea that ends up with, say, 200 you know, nuclear weapons, which is a possibility. It's, it's a prediction or a forecast as a possible forecast by even 2027, as well as ICBMs with MIRV warheads, that is multiple independent reentry vehicles. You know, That that would be a significant threat to the United States and a president would have to ask, am I prepared to actually risk some kind of a conflict on the peninsula that might cause the North Koreans out of desperation to launch attacks that considerate American cities? That's the real issue in terms of the South Korean concern about extended deterrence, that a president's going to say that ain't worth it. Well, nothing that was decided at this summit has any impact on that. But the fundamental issue of it, the transformation of the North Korean nuclear arsenal, that remains unchanged and is going to be a problem for the relationship going forward.
0: I was going to ask before we started recording, you know, how much uh, does this meeting change, uh, you know, the, the the stance with respect to the United States and China and North Korea? But, uh, you know, as as we've been talking, I realize, oh, right, we still have tens of thousands of troops uh, over there. And, I, I, you know, to the extent that you're saying that this is a lot of pomp and circumstance, it's a lot of things that would have been happening anyway uh, in order to reassure uh, the Re- Republic of Korea. Um, th- does anything really change with respect to China or North Korea from a U.S. standpoint?
2: I mean, the big problem here is that China you know, in the past at times has been at least somewhat helpful. I mean, leading up to 2017, they agreed to a number of different sanctions. And, you know, gave at least sporadic enforcement. But today, given the bad relationship with the United States, you know, China has very little incentive to help America out. And especially if it's thinking about potential war over Taiwan and other contingencies, it has no reason to reduce tensions on the Korean peninsula. So that remains a, an extraordinary problem for the U S and the ROK. And North Korea has given no indication that it even wants to talk. You know, let alone you know, entertain offers in terms of denuclearization. And the U.S. policy formally remains we are committed to denuclearization, yet I have yet to find a Korea analyst who's really, really believes the North will give up their nukes. I mean, there are a couple who say, oh, we've got to keep trying and maybe we get lucky. You know, so the, the overall threat environment is absolutely unchanged by this summit.
1: And none of these fundamental issues were addressed. I, I will give the... Washington declaration you know this thing we're talking about some credit in the sense that i mentioned before you know a redeployment of us tactical nuclear weapons to the peninsula as being something that could have been on the table um the us used to have a bunch of of short range nuclear weapons on the peninsula we withdrew them after the cold war ended in the early 90s i think reintroducing those would have been would have had a lot of problems. It's sort of like putting all your bets on, that's like the biggest display of reassurance to the South you can have, right? Putting the the nukes that you would use to respond right there. It also would be very, very dangerous in terms of US-China relations, in terms of how North Korea would react. I think that would have been a very bad decision for all of the other stuff that would have come with it. So I am glad that that sort of extreme option seems to have been taken off the table in a pretty significant way by this agreement, assuming the South Koreans are indeed mollified, um, which we'll see, but I think they will be. Um, so I will give it credit for that in terms of a- avoiding a sort of worst potential outcome. But like Doug said, I agree, you know, I, I agree with him on that of it doesn't fundamentally transform much. Uh, you know, North Korea still has its nukes. The situation is still bad China is probably not going to get on side anytime soon rinse and repeat the site cy- the cycle we've been in on the korean peninsula for the last several years
0: we've talked a lot about uh taiwan and uh you know at the cato institute we've we've held events and one of the recurring themes with respect to taiwan is this uh strategic ambiguity that the united states has engaged in with respect to taiwan how formal are the assurances that the United States over decades has given to South Korea?
2: Quite. I mean, we have a mutual defense treaty. We don't have a treaty with Taiwan. That mutual defense treaty, while it you know, allows, I mean, all of our agreements recognize constitutional processes in America, that is, Congress is supposed to declare war, The standing presumption, especially the placement of U.S. troops, which, again, is also different. We have 28,500 there. We don't have that kind of a garrison in Taiwan. Both of those are to show the commitment that, in fact, we will go to war over South Korea. We have said that. You know, this uh, Washington uh, Declaration reiterates that. You know, says ironclad that, uh, that we would uh, we'd use everything including nukes. I mean they're quite explicit. So it's it's this is unambiguous and uh, you know one can see if the South Koreans are reading it, they would be quite shocked that if we didn't come to the defense why the Taiwanese at least understand there's nothing out there they can kind of wave at us and say, hey wait a minute, didn't you say this?
0: Doug Bendow and Eric Gomez are senior fellows at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.